If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, turn with me over to a passage in the New Testament. I know you, you've been in Acts for like several weeks, so if your Bible kind of naturally opens to Acts, just let it go back a few pages to Luke chapter 12. Uh, we last for the last eight weeks have been in Acts, so uh, next week we can start another whole series uh, going through Galatians. The whole book of Galatians is only six chapters. We'll be looking at that as we talk about uh, how to be free from some of the things in life that binds us. But this week I had this opportunity. It's one of these kind of weeks where you're kind of in between series. And um, you're kind of saying, okay, you know, we're, we've already studied this part, portion of the Scripture. We're going to study this portion. What do you do in between? Uh, and and uh, as I was thinking about it, I said, you know, I just don't want to, like, preach my favorite passage of the week thing. I want to be intentional in what we do. So this week um, I'm preaching a passage or talking about a passage that really um, a few weeks ago, uh, we, I was at our denominational convention in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and as we were there, we went to one of the churches on Saturday night, Pine Hills Church, which is uh, one of our, uh, I guess you call it sister churches, uh, a fellow denominational church there, and I heard the pastor, Mike Drury, speak, uh, uh, start a series on the parables of Jesus, and, I, and as he spoke, I'm going like, man, that would be perfect, that, that, that passage of scripture is perfect for us to, to kind of get a grasp, a hold of, because it really leads into what we're going to be talking about uh, for the next uh, eight weeks, and actually being studied on Sunday nights and on Tuesday nights and on Wednesday nights if you're in financial peace, which I hope all of you are, uh, uh, it'll be going for ten weeks. And so I thought about that, and I said, hey, this is a great passage, so this is where we're at today. Um, what we want to do in financial peace is this. Now, there's, there's two components, in a sense, of our what we call Project Freedom. There's the Sunday morning component of teaching through the book of Galatians, which deals with freedom from a lot of different things in life. And then the, the financial part of that is financial peace, which will be uh, on Sunday nights or Sunday afternoons, uh, Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights. We have, I don't know how many people, tons of people signed up already, not too late uh, to sign up. But uh, in doing so, in doing financial peace, uh, the purpose of this is not, and I just want to kind of blow the, this out of the water right now if you think the purpose is to teach you how to make more money. No, this is not the purpose of Financial Peace University, okay? Because... I have found in life that it does not matter how much money you have that causes you to be content. You know, there's a study done uh, in people's lives. There's a study done that uh, people that made $30,000, they ask people this question, if you, to make you feel rich, how much money do you have to, to earn to feel rich? And they ask people that made $30,000 a year how much it would take for them to feel rich, I guess. I don't, I don't know what that means, but to feel rich. And so you know what their average, what it was? No, $74,000 on average. All the people they asked that made $30,000 a year, they said they had to make seven. I don't know why 74. That's kind of a weird number, I know. But $74,000. People that made $50,000 a year, they said, you know, to feel like I'm rich, I need to make double that. I need to make $100,000 a year. And it just kept going up. They even went up to people that had lots of assets, like people that had $2 million in assets. I'm actually, I had $2 million. You know, that none of them felt like they were rich. They said, for me to feel like I'm really rich, I need to have $5 million. So no matter how much, where you are, you're never, it's never enough. It's never enough. Uh, and so th- the purpose of financial peace, and as you'll learn, and, and, and you'll be hearing this in financial peace, uh, Dave Ramsey's a great communicator, and he talks about in the very first session, every session, his little mantra is, for those who went to it, live like no one else so you can live like no one else. Now, when you hear that, you're going like, oh, that means like if I live like no one else, I can live like no one else and have all kind of stuff. 
No, that is not the purpose of financial peace, okay? Just blow that out of the way. And, you know, it is to help you learn how to manage your resources better so you can be content and open up the door to generosity in your life because God wants us to live that way. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. Now, and thinking about that and knowing what was coming up, and I heard this message and this parable taught several weeks ago. Uh, I'm going like, man, what a perfect parable to teach from today. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 12, verse, starting with verse 13, we're going to look at a parable called the parable of the rich fool. Okay? Isn't that a great encouraging parable? The parable, no, it's a great parable. It's going to teach us all kinds of things. And I'm going to look at that, and I also want to look at a passage, two passages of Scripture today that complement each other. Uh, out of Luke 12, the parable of the rich fool, and also a passage that complements that out of 1 Timothy chapter 6. So you can kind of put your finger at both those places today. We'll be looking at those both as we look through the Scripture today. Now, the parable of the rich fool, just to give you an intro, is this. If you read the very first uh, few verses, 13 or 12 verses of chapter 12 of Luke, you will find it says that he is teaching to thousands of people. There was like lots of people showed up for Jesus' teachings. And as they showed up for Jesus' teachings, it says thousands had gathered so that they were, and there were so many of them, they began to trample one another. I mean, these guys wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. They were trampling one another. But Jesus began to speak to his disciples first, talk to them in the group, and then other people overheard. And he talked about some really, some really um, important things, he, if you read through that. I won't go into what he was talking about, but really important things. But obviously in the group, uh, in the group of all these people, there was this one guy. There always is one guy in every group. You know, classroom teachers love it. They have one guy or one girl in class. And they're always one person who's not paying attention. And they have their own agenda. And they're, and they're thinking about that. And all they want to do is wait for the teacher to kind of uh, catch their breath or to stop speaking and just so they can jump in and, and, and ask the question, which has nothing to do with what they're talking about. That never happens, right? You know, I mean, every one of you are kind of focused this morning, right? All of you right here, right here. Okay, focus, focus, focus. Okay, the thing is, is this morning, I want you to focus on what he is, because Jesus had this one guy in this group of thousands, remember, who obviously was not on the same agenda as Jesus was. He had his own thing. Because what, what he asked leads into a parable that Jesus teaches. And a parable basically is this, a parable is a short story with a big point. And the reason that Jesus taught parables was not just to tell people stories, but he did it because he wanted to call people to response. See, Scripture is not about learning stuff. It's about learning stuff that actually applies to our lives so that we can live for God in a more practical and real way in our daily lives. The Bible is incredibly practical in what it teaches. So Jesus taught these stories. And so let's look at verse 13, starting with Luke chapter 12, verse 13. This is where the guy chimes in. Jesus has been teaching all along, you know, people have been listening, paying attention. And this one guy says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, talking to Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What? If you'll notice what's up before that had nothing to do with money or inheritance or nothing. I mean, this guy had his own agenda. And it says, and he says, Jesus looks at him and he says, man, dude, who appointed you or me to be a judge or an arbiter between you? I got to be nice here. So I got I got to think about how I say this. So often people come to me for counseling and they come to other people for counseling. And you know what normally they want when they come in the office and there's say, a couple that's having a problem? What they ask is for, for they, what they don't want is the solution. They want a behavior modification of their spouse. 
or their kids. They want them to act nicer or to do something because they're not acting the way they want them to. They want, want behavior modification. And I want to tell you that uh, that is not the way to deal with issues because what it is, you want to get to a deeper issue. Jesus, in his response, we'll look at in a second, dealt with the issue that was really the underlying problem of this problem that this brother had with this other brother, which was about an inheritance. And the other, the real issue is the deeper issue is what we call, and we don't like to call it this, but it's what it is. It's called the sin issue. The sin issue. What is it that causes me to have this problem in my life. And so if you come to me for counseling or whatever, I won't deal with your, I'm not going to how to cause behavior modification in your spouse or your kids. I'm going to look at the sin issue, try to get to the underlying issue because that's what we really need to anyway. And so Jesus, instead of, you know, saying to the guy, well, let me, let me just say, you know, to, to you brothers, you know, you need to divide inheritance. He says this in verse 15. And you're going like, where does it come from? He said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of, pers- of possessions. See, the guy asked him about the inheritance, and he says, Hey, God, the problem is greed. You're just greedy. That's your problem. And then it says, then he told them a parable. Remember, the parable is something that's a short story with a big point. And he teaches them this parable. He says, Verse 16, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. (laughs) Obviously, the guy's barns were already full, and so he needed bigger barns or something. He had no place to store his crops. And then in verse 18, he says, this is what I'll do. He says to himself, self, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. What does it say about the guy? The guy was going, this guy was a good farmer, obviously. He was either a blessed farmer or a good farmer, maybe both. And he had lots of stuff. Matter of fact, he had so much stuff that the stuff he now had would overflowed his current uh, barns and, and storage places. And so he says, instead of, you know, he had other options besides building bigger barns, right? But his solution was he wants to have all the stuff close to him because it's his stuff. And so he says, I'm going to tear down my barns, build bigger ones. Not, I don't understand why he's going to build more barns instead of tearing down the ones that were already there. But obviously that was, he had that option. He was wealthy enough to do that. And so he said, said this, and so I'll do this. I'll store stuff for myself. So I'll, I can just be totally selfish. That's basically what he was doing. And then in the parable, Jesus says, this is what God says, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. You know what that word means, you fool? It means stupid and senseless. Literal translation, stupid and senseless. Okay? Now, I know we don't supposed to go around and call people stupid. I know it's really bad. But here God calls this guy stupid and senseless. He says, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then he says this. This is the key. Verse 21. Just kind of circle, underline, star, whatever it takes. Go back to this later. This is the whole point of the parable. Verse 21. And every, the point of what we're going to talk about today is this. It says, this is how it will be with you, with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now, keep that in your mind. It says, who's really, it's the difference between what is rich toward yourself 
are rich towards God. That's what we're going to talk about today. Because if you look at verses 16 through 19, if you go back through there, and you circle all the words that are I, or my words, or mine words, that's all about me, you know how many times in those three verses he uses the word I, me, or mine? Quick math. Eleven. Okay, eleven times at least. That's my quick survey. Eleven times in three verses. This guy had the I, my disease. The I, my disease. And the I, my disease is this thing about it's mine, and it's, I own all the stuff. See, there's two attitudes we see in here in this verse, in this parable. It's contrast them, and it talks about them here. The first is the attitude that the guy had, the guy who had, the farmer who had all the stuff. See, it was all about him. And his idea was the stuff, about the stuff, was that he was the owner of the stuff. But God has a different impression about stuff. He says that we're all managers, stewards. That's the biblical word of the stuff. It's all God's. It's, you know, when you were born, did any of you have come into the world with a bunch of stuff? Now, I'm not talking about what your parents had. All of us come into the world with zilch, zero. We have no stuff. It's all God's. He created all things. And so the thing is here is this contrast between our mindset about the stuff that we have. See, the question of the parable, the point of the parable is this. this is, and I formed it in, in, in a question because I think it's more easy to grasp. And this is the point we're going to talk about today. Are you rich towards yourself or are you rich towards God? Are you rich towards yourself or are you rich towards God? Because the guy in the parable who was called a fool by God was rich toward himself. And then it says we need to be rich towards God. So what does that mean? And you know the title, title of the sermon today? Did you look at the title? It says, uh, does God want me to be rich? You're going like, oh yeah, how to make money. No. You know that God really wants you to be rich? But not the way you think. So we're going to talk about that. Okay, what does it mean to be, what does it mean to be rich toward myself? That's the first thing. Uh, let's talk about two words that describe a person who is rich toward themselves. As a person uh, who is discontent, has discontent in their life and as a person who has greed. Uh, a discontent means never satisfied, uh, never pleased, never enough. We intentionally sung the last song that we sang. What did it say in the last song? If you were singing the words and you really thought about what they said, what did the song, we just, enough, what does that song say? It says what? All of you, God, is... More than enough. More than enough. Not just enough, more than enough for me. God, I am totally content in you. Regardless of where I am in life, regardless of how much stuff I have, regardless of whether I'm going through a good day or a bad day, regardless, irregardless of any of those things, I'm content in you. That's what that song says. But the person who is rich toward themselves is characterized by discontent, like all those people I shared in that survey, you know, no matter what you make, if you have $30,000 or $2 million, you're never content in life. You're never satisfied. And greed, uh, discontent breeds greed. Uh, it's, the desire of the heart is, you know, it's, it's about that. Because the thing is we have to understand is God is not opposed to wealth. Don't believe that, okay? But God does say... It's your attitude toward wealth that's the issue. 
Your attitude toward wealth is the issue. Because it says in Scripture in other places as well, not just here. For instance, in Ecclesiastes 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 10, it says this. It says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And Solomon says this is meaningless. He's talking about all the things we try to pursue in life that causes, we think it will cause us contentment, but doesn't. See, when wealth and money is our goal, it's our God. Let me say that again. When wealth and money is our goal, it's our God. The Bible never condemns having money. There were plenty of godly, wealthy people in Scripture. I mean, we just studied Acts. And in Acts, back at the beginning of Acts, we didn't really go through that a lot, but there was this guy, this wealthy benefactor, that basically was a very generous person who said, Luke, what I want you to do, the guy, the writer of Acts, what I want you to do is have some time to write, to spend some time. And so I'm going to give you the resources to spend some time to do that. He was a wealthy benefactor. There was a lady in Scripture named Lydia. And Lydia was a, per, a person who obviously was very wealthy, and she had some time into the color purple. I don't know what the deal was with purple back then. But the issue was is that she was very wealthy as well, and she was a very generous person as well. You could go through Scripture. There was tons of, of wealthy, generous persons. So it's not that God condemns money. He condemns the love of money. You understand the difference? There's a huge difference there. I mean, Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says at the end, you cannot serve both God. And I was thinking the obvious thing is what? Who's who's the opponent of God? Satan. He doesn't say that. He says in the passage in 624, read yourself. You don't believe me. He says you cannot serve both God and money. Because he understands how powerful a draw it is in our culture and even in his culture in that day to think that resources is going to make me content, is going to make me happy. So the person who is rich toward themselves are, is a discontent, has discontent and greed in their life. But the opposite, he says in this passage, in, in tw- verse 21 of Luke chapter 12, he says it's being rich towards God. Now, what does it mean? What does a person characterize that's rich towards God? It's, the life is characterized by contentment and generosity. Contentment and generosity. See, generosity is a mark of an individual who is rich towards God. Because right after this parable, if we read the parable here, and we go a little bit further at verse 21, we go to verse 22. If you have your Bible still open, what's it start talking about there right after that? First service, everybody talked to me, and we've had like a great conversation. People just talking out loud, you know, and I'm going to kind of freak me out because, you know, we're not usually that verbal. You are everywhere else, just not here. But, you know, I don't want you to talk out loud all the time, but just, just when I ask for it, okay? But the issue is, is that what does it say right after that, verse 22 and following through the end of the chapter? What's it talking about? Do not worry, which is being content. He's talking about how to be content. Do not worry about this. Do not worry about that. Be content with this. Have contentment in your life. And at the end of that passage there, in verse 34, he says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, he goes further and talks about this contentment thing. Because as I say this today, and we're going to be talking about it for the next several weeks in financial peace, it's not about, you know, <laughs> you will get this ingrained in your brain if you, if you come to financial peace, which is not a bad thing. Uh, the thing that uh, Dave Ramsey talks about often, he says, he keeps saying it over and over. What's the thing he says? Live like no one else so you can live like no one else. He's not talking about having tons of money. 
If you have wealth, fine. If you don't have wealth, it's about contentment. It's about getting to the place where you can learn to be generous and you build margin into your life where you don't feel like you're stressed all the time about finances, regardless of whether you make $30,000 a year or $2 million a year. You're going like, well, I'd like to be the $2 million person and try that for a while, right? You know? But, you know, it's not about that because even the $2 million people weren't content with where they were. So being rich towards God is about being generous, but not just for the sake of being generous because there's lots of people in our world who are generous and they're generous for the wrong reasons. Can you be generous for the wrong reason? I don't know. Yes, thank you. Somebody responded. You can't talk in this service. Okay. Uh, yes. How can you be generous for the wrong reason? You can be generous because you want people to go, oh, you're such a generous guy. Or I'm generous because it makes me feel good. Now, those aren't necessarily totally bad reasons. They're kind of self-serving reasons. But it's not about being generous for the sake of being generous. See, real contentment is about being content in the midst of it. And generous people are content people as well. It kind of goes hand in hand. And see, real contentment is found when I am at peace with God through Jesus Christ. It comes when we, when I understand what Jesus did on the cross. And I understand, and we're going to look at this in Galatians starting next week, that, you know, it's not about rules and regulations and all the stuff that we feel like we have to do to please God so he'll love us and he'll want us. No, it's about understanding that Jesus has already paid on the cross everything that needs to be paid for us to be right with God. And to go in, and understanding once we grasp that, and once we, we understand what that means, we understand that regardless of what happens in the rest of my life, whether I have good days or bad days or good weeks or bad weeks or good months or good uh, bad months or whatever it happens to be, irregardless of that, what happens is, is that I can be content and I can have peace in my life because of what God has done. I am going to be all right in the end. See, that's what Christianity is all about. It's about trusting, trusting God for our contentment. And so the thing is here is that that's what we're talking about here. And when I was thinking about that, I love this companion verse. Okay, now you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I told you we're going to look at another verse. But 1 Timothy chapter 6 deals with another verse. It says the exact same thing that this passage, because Paul kind of amplifies it here. Because Jesus once again tells the parable, which is a short story with a big point. And he doesn't flesh it out as much. So here I want to flesh it out really quickly this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In verse, beginning with verse 6, because it deals with this same issue of what does it mean to be rich toward God? And one of the attributes is contentment. And also it deals with generosity. It says in verse 6, but godliness, 1 Timothy chapter 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And then he says this in verse 9, he says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Do you know that, it's, that, that we can be tempted? In, do you think the culture around us causes us to be tempted into wanting to be rich? Yes. If you watch TV in the last 30 minutes, I want, hopefully not because you're here, but in the last 30 days, you, you've seen commercial after commercial and story after story that tells us, hey, you need this so you can be happy. If you had this, you would be happier than you are now. They try to convince you of that all the time. Our culture tries to suck us into this idea that contentment and happiness comes by stuff. 
But as every survey knows, and if I went around this morning and went around and had a microphone and asked you to tell a sad story of your life and, you know, what happened in your life and, and what's going on, and, and, you know, and I would find that many of you would say, you know, it'd be nice to go back to the simpler times when we first started off. And, you know, we first got married and we were struggling along. We didn't have a lot of money, but we were happy. I mean, my wife and I can tell you stories, man. I'm not saying it's, we're not happy now. Okay, honey, don't take this wrong. But, but the issue is, is that back, we could remember back when we were in seminary, in graduate school, Living in the town of Wake Forest, North Carolina. We lived in this really, you know, we went through a couple of first years kind of, a, you know, trials and tribulations. But then, not because of our marriage, because of our living situation, kind of changed like three times. But finally, we got to the place where we were living in this, in this really nice house there, managing this place. My wife got a job. She was making big bucks, like $10,000 a year, you know. And, uh, and we lived in this apartment, and, and I, I served at a church. And the first church I served at there in seminary, I served part-time as a, as, a, as a pastor. My title was Minister of Youth and Music, believe it or not. You know, I directed hymns. I can do it, man. I know how to do that stuff. And the thing was is that, you know, I made the giant salary of $3,000 a year. Because we lived in that, we lived in a seminary town, and guess what? There was there was like a thousand students who all wanted jobs, and so the churches could pay you nothing to work. Isn't that really spiritual in churches? You know, they just took advantage of the of the market, and so that's what happened. So we made a total of thirteen thousand dollars a year. But let me tell you something: that was some of the best years of our life, because man, we had no we had no uh, no we didn't have hardly anything. But we didn't owe a lot either. It was a really cool time. And I'm going to look back and I'm going like, wow, it would be cool to live back then. Not really. But, you know, it's yesterday is always a lot better after we've passed yesterday, right? But the issue is, is that I'm saying it to us is that he's saying here in these verses, he says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Now, the temptation is, is that we think that the more we have, the more happy we'll be. And then he says it's in a trap. It's a trap. And we fall into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then he says in verse 10 this, For the love of money, once again, he does not say having money is a sin. He's saying the love of money. For the love of money is the root of all ki- is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. He's going, folks, you know, contentment doesn't come through stuff. And if we'll be honest, we'll know that. Because no matter, I don't care what you got last week or last year and how much stuff you have, it only stay, you only stay happy with the stuff for a little while, right? I mean, if you got a new car, it was cool while it smelled good. Then you start paying those payments, and you're going like, oh. A new house, it was cool for a while. The boat, I don't know, I'm talking about guy stuff. You know, girls, I don't know what, clothes, I don't know. Whatever it is, guys like big stuff, you know, motorcycles, boats, things like that. We think it's going to make us happy, but the problem is it makes us happy for a week or a month or maybe a year, but eventually that wears off too. We know that. That's what Scripture's saying here. And sometimes because we pursue those things and think that contentment comes through that stuff, what happens is, is that we're fooled. We're, we're fooled into believing that. That's a lie. And then in verse 11, he says what we need to do. He said, but you, and he talks about us who are Christians, man of God, woman of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Pursue the things that are of God. 
And then in verse 17, he talks a little bit more about God. And then in verse 17, he comes back and he says, here's what I want you to do if, you're, if you want to be rich towards God. If you want to be rich towards God, this is what I want you to do. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. You know what he's saying here? He's saying that wealth can breed arrogance. I mean, so often the struggle, let me tell you how it works in a Christian world. Sometimes we think because we have wealth, we'll go overseas to an overseas church that is struggling, maybe in a third world country. And because they don't have wealth, we think that we are the answer people. And we know how to deal with stuff. Who, who knows best in a, in a culture where we're going to how to impact a culture? Us or them? Them. And what we have to do is humble ourselves and say, God, you've blessed me with these resources to help people, but I'm not the answer person just dumping money into a culture or going in there and trying to plant a little great oaks or a little white church in Africa or, or Haiti or wherever it may be is maybe not the best way to reach that culture. And we can learn some stuff from them. So do not be arrogant just because you have resources to think that you're better than someone else or smarter than someone else. We just have resources. And he says this, then he says, he says, uh, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And then he tells us how to do that in verse 18. He says this, command them, those of you who are people who want to be rich towards God, command them, and if you're a Christian, God commands us to be rich towards God. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. See, first he talks about what? Not about giving. He talks about serving. He says, be rich in good deeds. Be ready to share as needs arise. Be ready to share your time. Be ready to share your resources as needs arrive if you've been blessed with a lot. I mean, it says that throughout Scripture in James. It says, for those who have much, much is what? Expected, okay? That's, that's a good translation of that. You know, the thing is, God wants us to take what we have if we've been blessed with resources and not to say, oh, it's mine, like the, the guy in the, in, in the parable, the rich guy who just wanted to build bigger barns, stick them in a shed, and kind of keep them there for himself. Help nobody else. Totally selfish. Totally greedy. Just kept building. And I'm sure the next year if he had more, he built another bigger barn because he thought, oh, if I have a bigger barn and bigger stuff, I'll have more happy. And No, it just doesn't work that way. See, the problem is, and this is why we're doing financial peace right now and why we're going to be talking about how to let free your life from some of the burdens and some of the things that, and, and, that burden you down, is that when you become a Christian, something happens to you. And you know it does. The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes into your life and begins to change your heart. And when he changes your heart, what does he do? He changes the way you see people. And you begin to see needs that you never saw before. Maybe next door. Maybe in your family. Maybe down the street. Maybe somewhere else in the world. You see stuff on TV. I mean, we're so connected with people all over the world now. We can see stuff that's happening. And when that happens, what does God do is he's changed your heart. He makes your heart like his heart. That's the purpose. And you begin to say, I'd love to meet that need. But the problem I found with so many people who are Christians 
is that we've been so, we, when we've lived without being a Christian, we've, we've lived, been so rich toward ourselves that we've lived such a lifestyle that what we do is we have no margin. And when God pierces our heart and we love to help somebody, to learn to be generous, we don't have any place to, to pull from because we have the big mortgage. Or we have the huge car payments. Or we've maxed out our living to this, not only in America to what we make, but beyond what we make. And so we're in trouble. And God says there's nothing wrong with making wealth, but he says do not let that wealth become the thing that controls your heart. See, being rich toward myself is about getting being rich towards God is about giving. And so I'm going to ask you this question this morning. And our band can need, needs to come on out now, wherever they happen to be. I don't know where they happen to be right now, but come on out, band. Um, are they coming? There they come. Okay. Because they're going to sing a song in a minute here. Um, let me ask you this question. Focus your attention here. I'm going to come down here so you'll focus your attention. Um, just don't look at them, okay? They're not there. Um, this question, are you rich toward yourself or are you rich towards God? If you can't answer, I'm rich towards God and you call yourself a Christian, you've not experienced what God wants to experience in your life. Because you can't live a life that's totally focused on yourself and be content and be generous. This morning, the band's going to sing, just to sing a song. You just sit where you are. You're not going to stand up. You're not going to sing. You're just going to listen. This is a song about the attitude of the heart. When we cherish and treasure God more than anything else. Let's just listen to that this morning. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.